Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Liron Bentovim, president and CEO of the Glimpse Group, Inc., publicly traded company. The symbol is VRAR on NASDAQ. The company is a diversified virtual and augmented reality platform company comprised of multiple VR and AR software and services companies and designed with the specific purpose of cultivating companies in the emerging VR AR industry. The metaverse, virtual reality, augmented reality, all comprise what is known as immersive technologies, which, as I learned from Li Ron, we are in the first phase of this technology cycle. I wanted to chat with Li Ron about all of this, especially since we're in the early innings, as well as how the Glimpse Group is addressing this emerging immersive technology cycle, where we are at in the cycle and why, and the Glimpse Group's corporate strategy to mitigate the growth aspect associated with new tech. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Liron Bentovim, President and CEO of the Glimpse Group, Inc. Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Liron Bentovim. He is the president and CEO of the Glimpse Group, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is VRAR on NASDAQ. Liron, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? My pleasure. Kind of uh, glad to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, getting to know each other. Absolutely. This is our, our first time doing an interview together in, in any respect. And um, and so, you know, I, I was looking forward to learning a little bit more about the company and uh, I'm sure we'll go through everything today. So how we usually start off on, on the pod here is... Uh, what, what would you say is that one line that best defines the company? We are a uh, VR AR platform company for enterprise uh, use cases of the technology. That's uh, kind of, if you had to do it in one line. Now, if you want to take the one line into where I want to be is basically kind of 
we are the enterprise software and services company for the immersive tech cycle, which is where we're going to be. Gotcha. So, so immersive tech is basically taking over for the idea of VR, AR. Is that no <laughs> adding the elements? Okay. Oh, so add, I think okay. we're yeah. So that that's the that's the thing, and that's where kind of where we are. We're already VR, AR, and we're already uh, in to the best of my knowledge, the largest independent VR and AR company kind of in in the world. But uh, as you look at kind of where we're going, so this is a, a beginning of a tech cycle that has three technologies driving us from a digital world to an immersive uh, world. And those three are immersive technologies, that's VR, AR, and together with that is AI and blockchain. So those three technologies together are going to move us from the digital world, which was the end result of the previous tech cycle, moving from analog to digital, into the immersive world. And kind of we kind of our, our vision is to become the premier uh, software and services company in that kind of immersive technology cycle. Very good. All right, so get, let's get let's get into the background a little bit. What what was what what would you say was the original problem that the Glimpse Group was was trying to solve here? So uh, the problem there's actually multiple problems that came together. So I grew up in the previous tech cycle. So I and I was always chasing it because kind of it started in the early '80s. I was in middle school, and as I was growing up, kind of I always participated to the best of my ability. But obviously, there's so much you can do when you're in middle school or high school or uh, straight out of college. And uh, and it felt like kind of I was kind of basically studied the cycle. I've been involved in it. I had startups in it in the dot com days. So I've, I've I've played around, but it always felt like I was late to the party. And uh, back in 2015, and I've been following all these technologies for a while, but they always felt like they're not not ready yet. And in 2015, I saw that we're in the beginning of a new tech cycle where those three technologies uh, are going to come together and really move us from a digital world, which is the end result of the previous cycle, to an immersive world where everybody's talking about the metaverse. That's the end game of kind of, of, of this cycle, uh, where we will kind of spend all of our time, instead of looking at digital 2D screens, immersed in 3D. And I was looking at that and say, OK, this is where I want to be in life. I understand being early in this tech cycle is great, especially if you know it's early has a lot of challenges. And so that, that's kind of one opportunity that I saw. And I said, OK, I need to play in this thing. The logical thing to do was to either find a company that needs a CEO or kind of find like a technical partner kind of that wants to kind of build something with me and then go build a startup in this space. But I thought there was another problem out there. And that problem is that. Uh, starting a company in the early stage of a technology cycle where there's no market and there's no kind of traction with enterprises or consumers or anything is very, very hard. And I wanted to build a different model where uh, companies can work together, getting their strength. I looked at all the different models out there for starting companies and how they work with venture capital, with incubators, with accelerators, and trying to build a model that is better than those that kind of would allow for startups to be more successful and more likely to succeed. And the Glimpse model and the ecosystem we've built is the answer to that problem. So there's a technology problem and there is a starting a company in early stage of a cycle problem and combining those problems together uh, really kind of uh, was the, the logic behind Glimpse. 
Gotcha. Would you say that thesis has changed at all since since founding the company or starting everything up in 2015? Or we're still relatively early on in, in the business it, life cycle? It, it, it's proven itself to work. Obviously, we got from a dream to a public company. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, and as you look at what's happening, and we constantly morph how we do things, but the concept of kind of that need and that the fact that we are in that early cycle and kind of I'm even more convinced now kind of seven years into this cycle than I was in 2015 when it started that we are in that cycle and it is a 35 year cycle and it's going to basically kind of mimic the previous tech cycle in terms of how it's growing and the adoption curves and all those elements. And if you look at the other problem, the startup problem, kind of you look at our companies, many of our startups uh, have survived six, seven years kind of under glimpse where most of the ones we did not bring in are no longer existing. So I think that worked too. Right. No. And listen, and to, you know, you bring up a really good point because I was going to ask, like, you, you know, you said you wanted to get out ahead of, you know, the cycles, you've studied these cycles, you've seen everything you always wanted to find an opportunity to get ahead. You know, I always have to ask, you know, what, in, in your experience in studying these cycles and being a part of them and looking at tech and how this all kind of works, you know, how early is too early? Is there such a thing as too early? Oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to understand that. Yeah, so kind of there is too early, but kind of if you know you're early, it's fine. And kind of I used to teach in entrepreneurship in, in college and, and kind of I would teach people about startups and I was like kind of the biggest problem with startup is being too early. Now, the problem of too early is really compounded when there's a disconnect between the people that know what's going on and the money. Mm. And one of the uniqueness of Glimpse is there's no disconnect. I represent the money in a sense. And my subsidiaries represent the no way of the market, but I work with them closely. I don't invest in them from afar. I own and operate them. I let them run their businesses, but I'm with them in the trenches. So I see what's going on and there's no disconnect. So, so kind of if you look at a classic venture investment in a early stage technology company, a VC comes to a startup, the startup says, okay, we want to get uh, $2 million and kind of we'll give you 20% of the company and we're going to develop so-and-so uh, application. And so, okay, that's great. Sounds great. You guys are a great team. I'm investing $2 million in you. Okay, you do that and you want them to basically use that money over the next year. You come back a year later and you're saying kind of what happened? Well, kind of, we're not getting enough sales. We have a great product. Now you as the VC have no idea if they have a great product or not. It's kind of basically, uh, my partner at the hedge fund used to say, being early is a lot like being wrong. And I actually kind of, uh, I love that saying. And when I was teaching entrepreneurship, I actually converted that to something that the kids at school would kind of get to, which is a party. So let's say there's a party in this apartment at 9 p.m. on Friday evening, okay? That's the fact. If you show up in the apartment at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're early, right? You knock on the door, what do you see? An empty apartment. That's called being early. Yeah. You show up early. at an apartment in another building at nine o'clock on Friday, you are wrong. You're in the wrong place. What does it look like? An empty apartment. From your perspective, you come in, there's an empty apartment. You don't know if you're in the wrong apartment or you missed the time and the party is not at nine o'clock. 
Or that so, other, or that other building has a great party going on. Yeah, you're well, just, that, I'll, that, I'll stay that there. Be, that would be really cool if you get that. <laughs> but that's rare, of course. Yeah. So, 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 kind of. So, the problem with kind of put yourself now in the shoes of the venture capitalist. This entrepreneur came to me. I gave you two million dollars. You said you're going to build this thing and going to kind of. You had this huge hockey stick of you're going to sell all this stuff, and you come back a year and a half later and you say, "I built this amazing product with your two million. Look at this. It's really cool." Uh, and the guy's like, how much do you sell? Oh, we got like two customers that, that are trying it out. So that's $500. And we have a couple of people that really want it. They're in beta, but they don't want to pay for it. And okay, so you're the VC now. Are you early or are you wrong? Mm. You don't know if the product's right. crap, if the market actually doesn't exist and you're there's no opportunity here, or you have this amazing product, but you're too early. And the, the disconnect and the risk averseness of the investors will basically mean they're going to give it up. Didn't work. I tried. And it's a challenging early stage industry because you're addressing, it's not just building the right product. It's having the market come and join you at the right time so you can actually sell the product and get traction. If you're, if you're coming into a market that already exists, and you're selling a substitute product to what's out there, you know there's demand. If you can come with something that's better, cheaper, uh, more efficient, more environmentally friendly, whatever the, your special sauce is, you will gain market share because people are already spending money on it. If I came up with a new mattress, people are buying mattresses every month, kind of not the same people, but there's a demand for mattresses. If I come with a mattress that's cheaper, better, environmentally friendly, kind of made from whatever organic uh, feathers, whatever the thing is, if I have a thesis, I built the mattress, if it's good, it will sell. Gotcha. Because people are buying mattresses. But if people are not buying virtual reality training in the scape, and I built this great platform, but I'm not getting any traction, that's a problem. Right. And, and that's why the model, I think, worked very well for this early industry because we've got the wherewithal to work with our teams, understanding what they've built, understanding whether it's good or not, understanding the traction in the marketplace and trying to put all that together. Absolutely. So let's dive into that a little bit further, you know, in, into the business itself, you know, and, you know, we talked a little offline and, and the company's clearly, you're a holding company for all sorts of immersive technology. And so, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about some of the, maybe some of the flagship uh, subsidiaries right now and some of the things that are in the hopper that, that are starting to gain some traction as well. So, yeah, so, so take I'm happy to, to kind of give you a kind of a, a taste of all the different elements that, that, that kind of our teams does. And now I'll, I'll do it quickly. So we kind of, cause we've got a lot of them and they're all different things. So if you look at our subsidiary Curial, for example, they make lifelike 3d assets. So take any product that exists in the world and they can make it look real in augmented reality. And then what do you do with that is kind of you use it for a lot of brand experiences and marketing. And they work with kind of social media companies like Snapchat to kind of basically help companies that want to uh, take their products and connect them really to that Gen Z kind of target audience. That's really one of the challenges for, for brands is to connect with that generation because they can't find them anywhere. They, they're not anywhere that those kind of companies are used to market to. They can't find Gen Z's in there. They're, they're not there. 
they're not watching TV, definitely not the stream, the, the kind of the straight line kind of uh, uh, network TV. They're not reading newspapers. They're not reading magazines. They're not even on Facebook. You can find them. You can find them on Snapchat. And brands are really embracing that. And Curio is Snapchat's partner in taking what the brands want and kind of basically connecting using augmented reality with those brands. So that's just one example. Take you to a totally different direction. Uh, our company D6 brings data visualization to the next level. So you take data, you can uh, usually see it in 2D. And you, if you want to see the interconnectivity between multiple data factors, you have to flip through a presentation or kind of basically go back and forth between images. D6 takes that data and uh, allows you to see multiple dimensions of data in, in virtual reality in one go. Uh, go in a totally different director, dire direction. Uh, architecture, our subsidiary OGD, uh, allows you to see buildings before they're done or see kind of take uh, floor plans and actually lay them on the real place. So you can actually walk the floor plan in the right space and see how all the things come out before the building is built or if you're redesigning a floor. Uh, going in another totally different direction, uh, Immersive Health Group are kind of uh, helps train uh, nurses and uh, medical professionals on situational healthcare scenarios. So you've got a patient, something is happening, what do you do as a nurse? I can put you in that scenario, you go through that and you run with it. Uh, ADEPT, our uh, learning and training company, works with universities to uh, bring students kind of into the scenarios they need to be trained in. So if you're a student, you wanna get trained in uh, inventory accounting. So we partner with uh, Nova, one of the universities, we've built an uh, inventory accounting module where students go into a warehouse in Teams and they need to count inventory in the warehouse, something that you can't really show in a school, but kind of in, in VR, it works amazingly well and kind of it's been kind of well received by the students and the faculty and kind of the accounting firms that are gonna take those students and make them into auditors. I can go on and on, but you, you get the kind of the, the, the diversification of what we have. Absolutely. Well, no, this leads into my next question about, you know, criteria. I mean, the company just recently um, announced uh, the merger of uh, Brightline Interactive and also the acquisition of, uh, you announced this on June 1st, of Pulpo AR. Um, so I'm just curious what, well, one, maybe using these two announcements as, an, as examples of what some of the criteria that you're looking for when considering adding, you know, some of these new startup ideas or new ideas to the portfolio. So kind of, so when we look at acquisitions, we obviously are looking, first of all, for a great acquisition and kind of everybody wants great acquisition. Yeah, kind of it's like, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, so uh, so we're, we're looking for great teams, great technology, all the stuff that everybody else is looking for. And kind of obviously kind of, if you don't meet that, you're not doing that. And then you wanna have a great deal for your shareholders. So that's kind of also pretty common. Then what we're looking for because of our ecosystem. So we've got kind of all these companies that are all in a sense, kind of brothers and sisters in the Glimpse family, because everybody owns a piece of Glimpse. So they're all kind of share with each other. They all have their own teams, their own vision, their own products, what they're focusing on, but they all want to work with each other. So as we bring companies in, one of the important things is the ability for them to make the rest of the Glimpse companies, the ones that existed before we joined, they joined much better. And for the Glimpse ecosystem, so all the Glimpse companies and Glimpse management, to make them better. So how do we take something that's already good 
that we're getting at a great deal and we can make it much better by uh, kind of bringing them into our ecosystem. So that's kind of the, the, the strategy behind our acquisitions. And we're looking for, so when, as we bring kind of new accounts, we can then uh, lever those accounts and sell into those accounts significantly other solutions that Glimpse has. When we bring a new company with new technology, we can also take them to accounts we already work with and kind of add something else that we can sell into those. So uh, that's, that's an important thing. The technologies that we have, sometimes those technologies connect with each other. So one technology is making the other technology much better. And uh, so example, Popo has really good computer vision technology. They're uh, using that, they're one of the leaders in try-on for cosmetics. Uh, so that's great. Now let's take that example and what I talked about what we're looking for and see how that fits into what we're doing. So uh, first, Popo is most of their sales has been uh, localized either in Turkey or they've somewhat penetrated Europe and Brazil where they have a sales presence. They haven't really penetrated North America. Uh, and that's a great opportunity to take our relationships, our clients, and bring Polpo solution to them. That's kind of one of the things. Then you look at Polpo's uh, solution and they're uh, applying obviously their computer vision uh, capabilities into makeups and cosmetics, which is something that Curiel hasn't done, but Curiel is doing a lot of uh, accessories, hats, sunglasses, shoes, all those different try-ons. Again, take the Popo technology, apply it to what Curiel is doing, and that that's, makes Curiel better because now it has access to that technology. So you can see how kind of the application of these together uh, makes sense. Uh, another thing that we're doing as we're growing is we're building scale where scale doesn't exist in an industry. So as I said earlier, we are the largest independent software and services company in the space and bringing uh, one of the major players kind of outside of us, Brightline, into the mix, basically kind of basically grew our revenue automatically by 50% uh, with minimal dilution because the way we structure deals, uh, they're based on performance and much of that performance will come in the out years in additional growth that Brightline will need to bring into their business over the next few years because they believe that they can do better under a glimpse than they could do outside. And as you mix all those things together, you're creating uh, immense value for our shareholders, which is what we're kind of trying to do at the end of the day. Absolutely. One, one thing I wanted to ask about too, in terms of the criteria, I mean, you know, especially in the VC model, you know, some, you know, a lot of VCs could don't care if the company is commercial yet. I mean, is that one of your requirements or if the technology yeah. is something that's Absolutely. really additive? It is. Okay. As a public company, we want to get companies that are run as businesses. So we're not kind of, there's some companies that will let VCs have fun with. Those are companies that are long-term R&D developing something and seeing what happens. All of our companies are generating revenue. That's a criteria. If you're not generating revenue, probably wouldn't care uh, about joining us. And they're kind of working with their customers in a almost like a partner-like relationship, where they kind of they 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 understand what the customer is looking for for the technology that we're bringing in. We develop that for the customer, learn from the customer feedback kind of come back with the next iteration and work like that with multi multiple customers. Uh, so that's kind of how we look at companies to bring into Glimpse. Uh, that, that, that's our model, kind of uh, we'll let the venture capitalists kind of focus on some of the other companies sure. and hope every, everybody kind of has a good time. 
Absolutely. And what's this environment been like for you? I mean, you know, uh, we're, you know, we all see all the macro news that's happening. We've seen kind of the, 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 kind of some kind of the, the, the turn away from some of the growthy tech stuff, like just being real. Yeah. Right. You know, so what, what's been this, how has this environment been for you? Have you been seeing more opportunities and more deals, you know, maybe. Yeah, people- so there, there's, there's, there's definitely kind of obviously on one hand uh, as a public company, our stock is our currency. So we had to be creative because kind of, I'm not willing to sell my stock here or even use it in a transaction and we had to explain to companies coming in is like, if you believe you will accept stock at a higher valuation. So we've basically kind of have done our deals at our IPO price, which kind of, again, is significantly lower than where we traded post IPO, but is a at least reasonable number. And kind of, we told companies, look, kind of all payments in stock, which is a majority of our deals will be done with that minimum. So if the stock's higher, we'll kind of use a higher stock price because that's, where the market is, if the stock's lower, you're going to get this number. And if you don't want to do this, kind of, we're not doing the deal with you. And kind of, obviously, the value proposition of joining Glimpse was compelling enough that we got the deals done. Uh, but it definitely is making it more difficult to do that. On the other hand, uh, as we're getting into this tough economic environment, there's, there'll be opportunities and deals. And you can probably kind of uh, get, get, get better deals than you would have gotten otherwise. So. It's kind of a, it's all about kind of being able to do the right transactions that create value for our shareholders and kind of long-term kind of allow us to grow Glimpse uh, continuously kind of significantly higher than the industry. Absolutely. I mean, what does, what does the, the landscape kind of look like right now for immersive technologies? Are there other glimpses out there doing similar things or is it all kind of siloed off into individual companies? Yes, it's doing all their siloed own? off. So it is. Of, if you look at the world, we're unique. There's no one like us. Now, every one of our companies has competitors that are doing things like them. Those are the siloed companies. Some of those are uh, kind of groups of people that manage to self kind of bootstrap themselves into kind of becoming a company. And those are usually the ones we like to acquire because kind of management that got kind of got here kind of bootstrapping usually are good, good, good business people that know how to run a business. And then you've got the venture backed companies that kind of basically have raised a lot more money than the bootstrap companies, but their model is different. They're burning that money. Uh, at the end of the day, venture capitalists uh, hook people on money. That's their business. They're like drug dealers, but with cash. And if a VC gives you $5 million, you're going to end up burning $600,000 your last few months, a month. And now you need to raise more money. You're hooked on it. There's no way out. They don't want you to run a, a profitable business. That's the last thing they want. They want you to invest as much as you can and try and hit growth. If you hit it and you become a unicorn, awesome. That's what they're looking for. If not, have a good life and uh, go start another company. Uh, that, that's, that's the model. So we've got all those companies and it'll be very interesting because many of them have raised money over the last six months. And mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting probably a year, year and a half from now as all those companies come basically kind of basically they run out of the drugs that they bought from their last kind of drug dealer. And it'll be interesting to see how they survive. And I think there might be kind of interesting opportunities if the uh, venture market is not willing, because some of these companies have built really cool products. So kind of they're, they're great companies, but they're burning a lot of money right now building that product. And it will be very hard for them to basically go through detox and kind of become profitable or quasi-profitable companies. 
so it'll be very interesting to see how that kind of is going to turn out. That will be a uh, late 23 kind of a phenomenon to see kind of if all those companies can raise the next round at much higher valuation or uh, they'll have to fold and you might be able to pick some uh, interesting bargains. Absolutely. How, how, what's your ideal number of deals that you want to do in any given time frame, or let's say a year? You know, do you have a number in mind or is it more no, like... I kind of, there's, there's a lot of deal flow. I see a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of companies I like that I'm talking to. And kind of, obviously, we need to not get ahead of stuff in terms of integration and all the things we need to do on our end. Uh, we did five deals over the last, the first year of being public, we've done five deals. And uh, that, that's pretty significant. Uh, and we're looking for deals that will move the needle in terms of their impact on both our financials, our capabilities, our geography expansion. Uh, so kind of we'll continue to look at deals and kind of and we'll try and do them in a way we only do deals if they're really accretive for shareholders. Gotcha. So what do investors get most confused about when they think of the Glimpse Group? Is it that there's so many different subsidiaries that there isn't just one thing? Like what, what is yeah, it when no, you're I'm in sure these? That that's confusing to them. Obviously, kind of uh, uh, they, they, they haven't really internalized kind of how fast we can grow. So just to put in perspective, we IPO'd with a kind of run rate of $3 million revenue. We are now at 15, less than a year later. So that's 5X with relatively minimal dilution in the process. That's a pretty big deal kind of in the scheme of things. Kind of, there's not too many companies that have grown 500% uh, over the last year. We have. Yet kind of a lot of that is kind of investors will need to be patient to see that because of the way we're just kind of reporting the next quarter, which is our year end. So we'll only report that in September, the first full quarter with sector five, which is our latest last big acquisition. Kind of the first full quarter with Palpo will be the quarter after that. Brightline, because we need because they're a bigger company and we need to do an audit, we will only close that deal August 1st. I see. We will report that. Uh, the first real quarter with them will be the kind of the calendar Q4 quarter, kind of ending December. That will be the first full one. We'll have some impact from them in third quarter, but the full impact of that will be in the fourth quarter, which we'll only report in February of mm -hmm. 23. So everything that we've announced and we've told the market exactly what's happening, you won't see that in the numbers, even though it's already done deals until almost seven months ago, seven months from now. Sure. And, and like investors see the cash burn probably and like- Yeah, and they, they, they don't kind of, they, they can't kind of see this the, and the numbers are growing and every every quarter we're doing kind of more because, but I can also already see where I, where my growth is coming even if the market slows down because kind of I'm adding all these pieces that I already bought. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. I think that's kind of, that's where investors don't really see it. So we're right now, at a run rate as a company with no growth of $15 million. Yet kind of the last quarter I reported was 2.2 million. I see. So, so you're just, all, you're just, all you're, the information is out there. Everything is in the it's just a matter of catch. It's just a matter of catching yeah, up Yeah, but they'll, they'll catch up and then kind of the kind of valuation will catch with it. So there's nothing I can do except keep telling them that this is what's happening and writing everything and filing everything. But if they don't read, then kind of... Uh, kind of they'll, they'll have if they're investor they'll have a pleasant reward kind of at some point and if they're not they'll kind of miss out understood 
So, but, but and, and to play devil's advocate, I mean, in your opinion, you know, for those that are skeptical, what would you say uh, are the company's downside risks? If you, if, if you had to, to, to name so it. So if you don't believe that we are in this tech cycle and that kind of, that you think kind of, uh, kind of VR or AR is not the real thing and it's never going to happen and it's just like a kind of toy and there's no traction, then obviously kind of the last thing you want to do is buy a growth company that's focused on this industry. Uh, in terms of risks, of, it, it's an execution risk. Kind of, so uh, we are integrating a lot of pieces. We're kind of constantly selling new technology to customers that are beginning to experiment in it. So you have to believe in, 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 in VR and AR. But if you believe in this cycle, we are the pure play, as pure play as it gets, a well-diversified, well-managed company that's focusing just on, on this. And there's, there's no other like that in the market. Got it. I'm going to ask a dumb question. I like asking dumb questions every once in a while. I'll give you a dumb answer, though. No, you, you'll, you'll, <laughs> I think you'll, you'll give a good answer. Like if we, I mean, who, who's the, the biggest in player right now in immersive tech, right? Is it, what is it, Oculus? Is it, is it, yeah. is it, is it yeah, meta? Yeah. Like that, that's what yeah, it is right now? The biggest player right now in, the, in, the, in that universe is meta. Kind of uh, right. Okay. It used to be Facebook and Oculus right, their right, product. Right. They're investing heavily. They're investing ten billion dollars in the space a year because Mark Zuckerberg believes in that vision. Kind of, I've listened to a lot of his podcasts and kind of his vision in terms of where the industry is going to go is very aligned with where I think it's going to go. So, kind of, actually, very nice to see someone putting kind of significant amount of money into this thing. So they're investing heavily. Other companies in the space that are investing, all the big tech companies are investing huge amount. Apple hasn't come out with a product yet. Uh, lots of rumors around. They're investing billions of dollars. They've been investing billions of dollars for the last six years, building something they haven't even announced yet. They've invested double digit billions over the last six years in a product they haven't even talked about yet because they, Tim Cook believes in that kind of future. Microsoft is spending heavily on the space. Google's spending heavily on the space. Then you have companies, uh, Pico is owned by the parent company of uh, TikTok. They're basically trying to compete on the headsets with uh, uh, Meta. You have HTC that has been kind of putting in headsets and investing heavily in the space. Sony is on their side, on the gaming side, They're, they have a really good kind of, VR headset for gamers that they're investing heavily in this. So all the big tech companies, including companies that are pure software companies like Meta, Google, and Microsoft are investing heavily in the space. And the first half is a hardware cycle. And we are a software company. So we're unique in this element. So if you look at the previous tech cycle, the digital cycle, in the first half of it, all the big names everybody was talking about were hardware companies. All the companies we talk about today didn't exist. They all started in the second half. That's a software cycle. There's only one company, software company, that really, two if you count Oracle as another one, that survived from the first half, Microsoft and Oracle, survived from the first half and then kind of continue to be real players in the second half. All the other software companies, kind of, and kind of the other ones we know, kind of Amazon and Netflix and Google and, and Meta and uh, kind of all those companies came to be in the second half. We're trying to do almost like what Microsoft did in terms of being a software company that 
plays with the hardware guys in the beginning of the cycle. And we're talking and we're partners with all of those guys that I mentioned. And then kind of as we get to the second half of the cycle, the software cycle, that's where we're going to have a lot of fun because that's where the boom, that's where we get mass adoption. Right now, there's no mass adoption. So everything we're doing is POCs and trying things out and convincing corporations to kind of start and kind of different organizations. The fun will be kind of basically kind of six, seven, eight years from now when we get that inflection point, the equivalent of 94, 95 in that previous cycle where people are starting to kind of, and people in organization will start all use VR and AR on a regular basis. And then you become a software game. Mm. And that will be a boom for all of our companies. And kind of, I hope some of them will be major winners in their spaces, but even if not, and they're just also runs, will do pretty well. Absolutely. You just answered my next question a little bit. And maybe maybe there's, you know, you said six, seven, eight years, but maybe let's say in, in the next three to five year range, you know, where, where do you see the company? And then what are some of the, I guess, you know, if you're talking six, seven years out, uh, you know, what are some of them more of the near term inflection points that'll get you to where you want to, you hope to see the company in that so, three to five so years? What, what, what drives right now, since we're in the first half of the tech cycle, and we're going to be in the first half of the tech cycle for another eight, nine years, a hardware cycle. So that means new announcements of new hardware that comes out that will come from those players we talked about, Meta and Apple and maybe Microsoft and maybe Google, maybe Samsung will come with new devices that will push the limits of what you could do with that. And uh, when Meta came with the Quest and especially the Quest 2, that was a game changer. That was the first time that you had a headset that was untethered. So you don't need a PC, you don't need a computer, uh, you don't need a phone. It just works. And that changed the game and opened up things that kind of we were struggling with because uh, before we were using tethered machines and it was just a pain getting them introduced to any organization. And now with the Quest, you take it out of the bag, you show it to people, you turn it, put it in your head and it just works. So that was a big leap forward. So as you look at additional leap forwards, it will be in the hardware side. It will be an AR glasses that might come out from Apple or might come from Meta or might come from Google everybody's playing around with it, that really is kind of consumer ready. There's a lot of headsets that are kind of good for someone working in a warehouse, but they're not ready for kind of users to use in a, in a regular basis. And that's kind of going to be a driver of the industry. Continued evolutions in terms of what you can do with the headsets. I can see the more advanced headsets that are out there. And uh, like, for example, Vario has a really super ultra end a VR headset, super expensive right now, tethered. But that shows where the technology is going to go. And when you have something like that that's untethered, that's going to, again, push the industry. Kind of, you want to get to a point right now, people are comfortable spending an hour in VR at a time. You want to change to the point where you can be four hours in VR. The future mm -hmm. of work is in, 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 we're going to work in virtual offices. So you'll be at home, but you'll be in an office. So kind of a hybrid of what we've kind of learned during the pandemic that we can work remotely. There's some advantages and some disadvantages. Kind of working in the offices has advantages, disadvantages. Working in a virtual office takes the advantages of the office, the advantages of working remote and combining them together. Sure. But that only works if I can spend 10 hours a day in my headset. I, I'm not willing to do that. I'd rather commute right now than do that. Right. When we pass that inflection point, working in virtual offices will be a thing going to a virtual mall, kind of all the, the whole metaverse will start when people can spend three, four hours in a VR setting and people will then build 
worlds and experiences that will allow those people to do that. Absolutely. So then from a corporate perspective, I have to ask, because I'm sure you get asked this all the time from investors. It's like, all right, okay, we hear you. We understand, you know, you're very early, still in the first cycle to build the hardware. We get it. You're doing the software side. You're partnering with all them. Makes total sense. You have businesses within there that are revenue generating, but how are you, what's your thought process on mitigating some of that you know, risk while we're waiting for some of those inflection points to start to occur, as you said, so, a little yeah, bit so, longer so, down the road. So the focus for us is to run this as a business. So we're not investing, building technology. Hopefully someone will buy it down the road. We are building businesses that are growing, building relationship with customers. And as we get scale, we'll get to the point where we can run this as actually kind of a profitable business kind of not happening this year. There's too much investment going on and we're still working on that scale element. But once I hit that 20, $25 million revenue range, which I will get to organically and inorganically, then I can get to the point where I can run this as a real business. And then if this upside happens, awesome. If it doesn't, we'll just keep running this business kind of this technology is not going away. So even if you don't believe in my upside, I'll still run it as a really good business. Very good. All right. So, you know, you've been now a public company for, for, for a little bit, you know, I, I know you've done some of the investor conferences, you've done the one-on-one, the roadshows, the whole bit, you know, how much if at all have your shareholders influence any of your decision-making process thus far? Uh, kind of in reality, not a lot. Kind of, I look at them more as a kind of obviously use the ones I talk to as sounding boards. And there's really some, some really smart shareholders out there. Some kind of that are professional shareholders running funds and some are kind of uh, people that are investing their own money, but those guys get it and they're really smart. And listening to them and understanding how they see it, because at the end of the day, I work for them. Uh, Once you go into the public ground, kind of you're not running your own company, you're running a company for your shareholders. And uh, it's kind of, you need to be who you are. So I've tried to execute and, and basically do what I said I'm going to do. So I went public, I kind of gave a story and over the last year I've executed exactly on what I told the public I'm going to do. And if you look at kind of what I said I'm going to do in all my conference calls, I kind of, I execute on that and kind of you build that credibility. And I've been building that credibility kind of even as a private company before I went public. I would go and and kind of some of the, the, the there's some people that invested in my fifth round and because all of our rounds were kind of before going public were, uh, high net worth individual family offices. We stayed away from venture because there was misalignment between them and us. And you had some people that met me kind of year one and invested year three. And that's like, whoa, everything you told me in year one, you're going to do two years later, you've actually done exactly that. So I'm going to give kind of, yes, I wish I put money in when when kind of I could in the in that early round, but I'll put money in now because you really did exactly what you told me you're going to do. Uh, so I think that's important. Uh, obviously kind of constantly looking at the market and looking at what's happening and making adjustments, but being very consistent in how you communicate what you're doing to shareholders. So if they're interested in that, they can kind of get on and join the ride. And if not, then at least they know what you are and they kind of, if that's not what they're looking for, they should go elsewhere. Absolutely. All right. Well, to close us out here today, you know, I, I asked every CEO this question when we, uh, as we're at this point, but do you enjoy being a public company CEO, I mean, it's a hard job, a lot into it, you know, other than just running the business. So, you know, love to hear your answer there. Yeah, it's, 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 it's got its moments. 
Uh, obviously, I've been involved in the public markets for a long while. I've been on multiple companies' boards. I've run multiple other public companies as kind of uh, as, as a COO, CFO. So I kind of, uh, and this is kind of, this is my, the company. And I built this company to be a public company because I think the having the public behind us is the way for success for this company. So yes, kind of days where kind of your stock goes down, kind of even though I don't look at it, but uh, I hear about it from people. It's not great. But uh, apart from that, yeah, I, 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 it, it's good kind of basically build, being there and building something for, for, for that public. And kind of uh, I, I want my shareholders to kind of to feel like they're part of the family and kind of, and, and kind of be committed to the company the same way the company is committed to them. Absolutely. Well, Iran, with that, where can our audience go and find more information to follow along the Glimpse Group story? Uh, the best place to get information on us is following us uh, on LinkedIn. Kind of that's where we update all the stuff. We're also active kind of at the Glimpse Group on kind of Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, kind of our website always has the best and uh, up-to-date uh, investor information. And obviously kind of our ticker VRAR and uh, kind of would love to have more uh, people join our family. Very good. And, and that website is www.theglimpsegroup.com. Correct. Liron, thank you so much for joining me today. I really my, do my appreciate pleasure. it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I, I look forward to our next update. Uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.